turn to John chapter 14. And the primary text or the primary verse that I'd like to preach from this morning is verse six, but I'm going to go ahead and read the first five verses of the chapter just to kind of give us a context for what we're going to be talking about this morning. So chapter 14, beginning in first verse one, do not let your hearts be troubled. Let's stop there for a second. Where are we at in the story and the journey of Jesus? Well, very simply, Jesus is now coming and he's nearing the end of his ministry on the earth. He's, he's washed the disciples' feet. He's told them that he's going to be going away. He's told them that he's going to be uh, dying. And, and so here we see Jesus saying, listen, I know that's a lot to take in. Don't let your, listen, don't, don't freak out. Don't worry. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And he goes on he goes, and he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, Would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Verse five, Thomas jumps out and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I was sharing with the life group leaders not too long ago about where I'm at in my journey, what the Lord's been teaching me, and how really what the Lord's been teaching me is really centered in on this verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and even more particularly upon this idea that Jesus is the way. And I mentioned this book called The Patient Ferment of the Church. Now, don't be distracted because that book has nothing to do with my sermon this morning. But what it does do is it gives you a great picture of what I feel like the Lord's doing in me, this patient ferment of God's work in my life. And, And no matter how impatient I get with it, it is God just staying in on this idea that he is the way. And every time I've read this before, I really fall into this the same way Thomas kind of heard Jesus say this. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to prepare this place for you and uh, you know where I'm going, so you know the way to get there. And Thomas says, I have no idea where you're going, so how can I know the way to get there? And I've always read it the same way and I, I, would, I would bet that most of us read it the same way too, that when Jesus says, I'm the way, we think to ourselves, oh, Jesus is saying that he is the way, he's the, he's the direction, he's the signpost, he's the gateway, he's the path. And I would say he's all those things, but Jesus is so much more than just the signpost, the direction or the gateway or the path. When he says that I am the way, he's actually talking about the manner in which we live. I'm the way. I'm the way of the truth. I'm the way of the life. When you get, when you start to have a question about how to live life, look at my life because I'm the way that you live. We have this saying in my home when I'm talking with my kids or when it's my wife, when they, when they, you know, when they get in a little bit of trouble, which is almost never, maybe what, baby, one or two, three times an hour, you know, so really, really not that much, you know, and, and, you know, and I talk to them and, I, and I'm trying to teach them whether it's humility or giving, I look at them and I say, son, that's not the Anderson way. 
To be selfish is not the Anderson way. Because as an Anderson, and here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to build into my kids the identity of what it means to be a part of this family. No, we may do it differently than that family. And we may do it differently from that family. But this is the way this family operates. One of the greatest examples of this I've ever seen is in David Galvan, who is our, uh, he was up here, he transitioned the service, he's the uh, pastor for our children's and our youth, and uh, he embodies kingdom service like nobody I've ever seen. He expresses God's love in the way he serves everybody. Whether he knows you or not, he will do, I mean, he will stretch himself to do anything you ask. He is a servant. Now, here's the thing that so amazes me that when I see his daughter, Brielle, she is always serving. She is a servant. In the same way her father is a servant, she is a servant. And somehow, David, Pastor David has so inculcated serving into his family that it has become a generational identity. It is the way of the Galvan household they serve. And I've heard him say this, Brielle, this is who we are. We're servants. This is the Galvan way. And I think when Jesus, when Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's saying the same thing. This is the way. This is the God way. This is the Christian way. This is the Jesus way. And the world is trying to give you a different way, but I'm here to give you my way. And this is important. And we're gonna spend time on this idea and this thought that Jesus is the way. Immediately, you know, it would be interesting, you know, it would be easy to look at the scripture and be like, well, Thomas is talking about Jesus as the way, as in directions. So isn't that what Jesus is saying when he responds, I am the way? And I'd like to continue reading. Here he says, if you know me in verse seven, you will also know my father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Such, a, such an, in, just, just I, I wonder if he was like, oh, I'm gonna earn brownie points with this one. Just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Oh, only you can satisfy us, heavenly Father. And Jesus looks at him and says, okay, son. The reason I can say that is because I feel like he says this to me often. He's like, all right, Dan. And he says, I've been with you all this time, Philip and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What does is, what is Jesus really say? He's saying, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Philip says, show us the Father. And he says, you've seen the Father because you've seen me. You've seen the way I've lived. You've seen the way I've worked miracles. You've seen the choices that I've made. And because you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The life of Jesus, as we read it in scriptures, is not just an account of the truth that Jesus transmitted to us, though it is an account of that. It is also an account of the way Jesus lived, giving us an example of the way we are to live our own lives. 
The way of Jesus is the way that we practice and come to understand the truth of Jesus. Living Jesus in our homes, in our workplaces, with our friends, and with our family, we know how to incarnate Jesus because we know his way. We see it in the scripture. Before the followers of Christ, this is an interesting note, before the followers of Christ were called Christians at Antioch, they were first called followers of the way. And I think somehow we've lost the value of the way of Jesus in our effort to get to the truth of Jesus. In our desire to embrace the life of Jesus, we've kind of given an obligatory nod to the way of Jesus and passed it right on by. Scriptures, scripture is filled with references to the way. 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, verses one through three says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. What is that if that is not the way? We can speak in tongues. We can, we, we can provide healing for the masses, but there's a way. If I don't have the way of love, then it means nothing. Ephesians chapter four, verse 15 says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. And I hear this all the time when, when we start interacting with people and we get angry with someone, I'm just gonna tell them the truth because Jesus is the truth and I'm just gonna lay it on them. And it doesn't matter how we do it. It just matters that we do it. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it does matter how we do it. It's the way of Jesus to speak the truth in love. Psalm 119, verses one through five, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. What is the law of the Lord if not the way? He goes on and says, blessed are those who keep your statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do, not, uh, they do no wrong, but follow whose ways? God's ways. You've laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Meaning, God, may my ways be made to reflect and be congruent with your ways. I believe this is why Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, you'll have it. Well, what is he saying? He's saying, listen, if you ask anything under my authority, if you ask anything in the, to, in the way that I am moving in the earth, I will give that to you. Isaiah 55 verses eight through nine says this. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I think what has happened is that we've skipped the way of Jesus in our hurry to get to the truth. But in his statement of self-revelation in John chapter 14, the very, Jesus clearly and definitive, definitively states first that he is the way. What I want to submit to you this morning is that the Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth is what brings about the Jesus life. 
that there is a relationship between these three aspects that Jesus presents himself. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. But they're not so separate that they're not related to one another, that they work together. Listen, when you walk in my ways and you wed that with the truth, you will experience the Jesus life. And I, and, I, and I think if you if you listen to a lot of different podcasts, we get a lot of Jesus truth, just this principle, employ this principle and you'll experience the Jesus life. If you if you give, if you just give, then you'll you'll receive and that's the Jesus life. You'll have everything that you need. And I'm wondering if there is a Jesus way to our giving we need to embrace. In other words, Here's another way we can think about this. We can't proclaim the Jesus truth, but then do it any old way we like. We can't suppress the Jesus way in order to sell the Jesus truth. I think sometimes we see this in churches. Well, no, nobody really understands the table, so we're not gonna do that very often. We want people who come, they don't understand it, so we're just gonna not do that. Only when the Jesus way is organically joined with the Jesus truth do we get the Jesus life. And I don't know how else I can say it. Let me give you a few examples. I think number one, we see this in the American way versus the Jesus way. And I was doing a little bit of research into the American way. And I found this guy named Will Herberg. He was an American Jewish writer. He was an intellectual and a scholar. He passed away in 1977. And he was a Jewish theologian. And he defines the American way like this. And I just, I want you to open up your heart as I read this. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I hear the American way in my way? Do I hear the American way in the way I do church or practice the gospels? He says this, he says, the American way of life is individualistic, dynamic, and pragmatic. It stresses incessant activity on his part, for he is never to rest, but is always to be striving to get ahead. It defines an ethic of self-reliance, merit, and character, and judges by achievement. This is the American way. And I believe, oh, let me read to you. Okay, so now let's go to scripture. What is the Jesus way? Here's a good example, Philippians chapter two, verses one through five. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, so he's speaking to the body. He's speaking to a congregation much like this one. If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each, but each of you to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. This is the Jesus way, not self-reliance, but reliance upon God. Not the supreme value of self and what I can get, but looking to the needs of others. And yet, I would submit to you that this, mor uh, this morning that the American way has infected the way we approach the gospel. 
The way we approach our faith is infected. There's no better word. It's like a virus that is spread throughout. It's like a cancer that's spread throughout the entirety of the gospel for us. The church, man, I love this. Think about it. This is what I think has happened. The church of America has taken the truth of Jesus as a supplement to the American way of life. We, we come into the church and we hear these good teachings and we want to chick, pick and choose. And then we want to supplement that to the way I'm leave, living life. But this morning, I, I, I'm one, I, I just declare that the way of Jesus is an alternative to the dominant ways of the world, not a supplement to them. It's something wholly different. Let me give you uh, one example of the American way dictating the truth of Jesus. You know, in the American way, this Jewish scholar says it affirms the supreme value and dignity of the individual. And if we look in Peter, Peter's writing to the church and he says, you're a royal priesthood. I think this is a great example of the American way really just hurting us as a body. But he says, you're a royal priesthood. And, you know, the the Reformation, Martin Luther wrote in his Reformation of the Church that, listen, he kind of presented this assertion that of of the priesthood of all believers, right? He kind of emphasizes this. And I think it's one of the most crippling misunderstandings to assume, or at worst, even worse to insist, that each of us can function as our own priest, In our individual mindset, we read Peter and he says, you're a royal priesthood. And so what we get out of that is, I am my own priest. But that was never his intention and that was never Martin Luther's intention. This is what he intended. What Luther intended was that we are all priests, not for ourselves, but for one another. I need you for my priest and you Need me as your priest. We're meant to help each other in our walk in the Jesus way. Eugene Peterson in his book called, imagine this, The Jesus Way, says it this way. He says, the priesthood of all believers is not an arrogant individualism that, at least in the matters dealing with God, doesn't need anyone. It is a confession of mutuality a willingness to guide one another in following the way of Jesus, to assist and encourage, to speak and act in Jesus's name and to be guided by another to speak and act in Jesus's name. When Paul wrote that to the body, he was saying, listen, be a priest for one another. And yet in our individual mindset, we think that means I can be a priest by myself, just me and Jesus. And it has crippled the body. And here's why, because we don't always agree. And because of the individualistic understanding of the priesthood, because I disagree with someone, I don't need them. And I can just walk away. What if that person is the very incarnation of Jesus that is helping to shape us in a more rounded way? And yet because of our individual mindset, we can just toss it to the side. Oh, I don't need it. Church isn't that important. I can have church at home. Let me give another example. This one's a little more personal. I had a, oh man, 
a while back, there was this young, young person. And forgive me if I seem vague because I'm trying to be vague. <laughs> but I, there was a young person that had made a decision. And I totally disagreed with the way he went about his decision. And I, I, I felt, I just felt offended and hurt. And I had all these truths. You know how it is. Someone hurts you or whatever, and you start lining up all these truths about their, their character and where they're at, what they need. Listen, I know what you need. And uh, so this, this individual says, hey, can we get together? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we are going to get together. And we are, it's, you know, fight night. That's what it's going to be. I am going to just, mm, the truth, Jesus. Jesus is the truth. And, I, and so my wife and I are kind of preparing the house, you know, cleaning up. I'm trying to clean up. You know, I don't like people when come, people come over to my house and it's all a mess. Because then, I don't know, maybe they, I think, oh, they're going to see my mess. So we better clean up the outside. You know. and I know none of you are like this. None of you are like this. This is me. This is me. So I clean up the house and <laughs> my sweet, loving wife just, you know, oh, are you going to do this? Or just pretty innocuous questions. And my only response is, and then, and then a little bit later, I'm like, oh, baby, I'm so sorry. That was uncalled for. I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry. And, and then it was like just three minutes later, the same thing, right? I mean, just cycles, you know? Finally, I'm like, okay, there's something going on in here that needs to be dealt with. There's like rot and poison, gangrene somewhere up in here. And Lord, I need you to excise this from my life. So I, I go, baby, I just, I'm going to take my Bible. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to, I'm going to just present myself to the Lord. And so I open up my Bible, <laughs> of all places, to Psalm 119, and turn to that verse that I mentioned earlier, where it talks about blessed is the one, blameless, is the one who walks according to your way. And in that moment, the Lord just, he just so spoke to me. He's like, Dan, you have a way, as is evident, and it's not a very good way. And I was like, <laughs> Lord. You know, and all of you have felt that, I'm sure. Or maybe it's just me. But I, I mean, I'm sitting there and I realize there, I have a choice before me to continue in my way or to continue in his way. And then he brought to my mind that other verse that I read to you, Isaiah. Listen, son, my way is not your way and it's higher than your way. And no matter, no matter how much truth you try to add to your way, it doesn't make it my way. No matter how much truth you try to add to your way, it doesn't make it my way. And I wept a little, you know, let's skip that part. Let's move forward. So, so we, you know, this young person comes over, sits down and, and listen, I did not feel just because God showed me the error of my way, it didn't mean I accepted his way. I still wanted to, I mean, I, there was nothing inside of me that wanted to speak the truth in love. Uh, you know what you need? You need a spanking. That's what you need. I still have some things to work through. I get it. <laughs> and, I, and I just sit there and I, and I, I well, I'm going to let this individual speak. So I just let them speak and they're talking. And, and, I, and I just thought to myself, Lord, I choose your way, even though I don't feel your way. 
I choose it. It's not my way yet, but I'm choosing to make your way my way. So I listened. And every time that thing inside of me wanted to jump up and just, you know, slap them in the face with truth, I just, I just didn't in that moment. And the first words I felt inspired in my spirit to say were, you know what, it's okay. I love you. I believe in you. Different, these different, and then that opened the way for some of the truth that the Lord had revealed to me to be delivered, but not in my way, in his way. And you know what resulted? God's life. That meeting became a place of life where, listen, where when it was my way, the whole point of the meeting was to transform them. But when I made it about God's way, it transformed us. Let me, let me end with a scriptural example here. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a story uh, before Jesus jumps into his ministry. So he goes to John the Baptist, and he's standing there, and he says, baptize me. And Jesus, you know, and John says, no, you should baptize me. And Jesus responds, says, hey, listen, to fulfill all righteousness, you know, baptize me. So John baptizes him and there's people all around and the spirit of God comes in the form of a dove and rests upon him. And this loud voice speaks, this is my son. And some people think it's thunder. Some people are like an angel spoke. And, and, and you know, and we look at this from our Western mindset and we think Jesus's ministry is off to a rock and start. I mean, there's some real momentum. Jesus, you should go out there right now and don't lose momentum. Okay, all the leadership teachings. Let me just teach you, Jesus. All the leadership teachings say, utilize your momentum, cause it to grow. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? He says, no, 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 you need to go out in the desert. And he, and I love Mark's version because Matthew and Luke are like, oh, the Holy Spirit led him into the, into the wilderness. But Mark's like, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. And, and, some, and you know what? Later in Hebrews, it says, Jesus learned obedience where? In the wilderness, somehow the Holy Spirit knew you need this. You need to stop. Don't get, don't get distracted. Don't be seduced by success and getting more. Don't be seduced by the American way or the Roman way. But go out into the desert and abase yourself. Be hungry. Don't eat and don't drink. You know, in that place, that's where need really comes to the surface. And I just want to, I, I just want to cut past all the other teaching I had ready to go and get to this one point. And that is that Jesus was tempted by three things. In the time of great need, and you have to think, like, was there doubt in the desert? I mean, he had this incredible moment, this incredible success, and now he's being driven into the desert. How many of you have ever thought that when you've gone from success to desert? Did I do something wrong? Did I mess up? Did I make a mistake in the way? And here comes Lucifer, and he tempts him. He says, listen, you're really hungry, so... Why don't you turn some stones into bread? And when that doesn't work, the enemy takes him and says, listen, cast yourself down from the temple and you'll be born up by angels. There's a promise in God's word for this to happen. 
It's a promise in God's word. It is truth. You wanna speak truth, Jesus? Here's some truth for you. Jump off from this temple and God's angels will lift you up so that you don't strike your foot on the ground. What is, what is Lucifer really tempting? What is the enemy tempting Jesus really? This is amazing to me. The third one was that the, the devil took him to the high place, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He says, look, bow down and worship me and I will give these things to you. And, and the most amazing part of reading through this is that all three of these temptations were things that Jesus would inherit in time. Make bread of stones. Just miraculously make some bread. Later on, we see Jesus feeding the 5,000, multiplying bread. We see, he says, cast yourself off the top of this, this temple in front of everybody. Just cast yourself down and you're gonna be lifted up. This miraculous moment will confirm you are the son of God. If you are the son of God, cast yourself down. And Jesus, Jesus would go on to do miracles that would mark him as the son of God. And then finally, Listen, you can rule the kingdoms of the earth. And we know that now when Jesus overcame death and the grave, he received the keys. And he was reinstalled as the king and the prince of peace of the earth. All the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So what, what was the deal? What was Jesus really being tempted by? This is what I think. I think that Jesus, that Jesus was being tempted to skip the difficulty and the hardship of doing things God's way in order to receive the things that were already promised him. Each of the devil's temptations has to do with the, uh, has to do with the way Jesus is the way the way he was gonna go about his work. Jesus could have come in like a king and conquered. He could have cast Rome down, but he didn't. He said, the way that I'm going to bring salvation to the earth is by coming in low. I'll submit to a death. In Ephesians chapter two, verse, uh, after the verses I read to you, it goes on to say our attitude should be that, the same as that, as that of Christ Jesus, who being the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So what is scripture saying? That Jesus is on the same level as God. He himself was God. The equality with God was not something he was reaching for. It was his. And then he empties, it says that he empties himself out and comes in the form of a man. And I love this. I read in a book when I was in college so many years ago, and it basically says, you know, but that wasn't low enough for Jesus. Because it goes on to describe not just a, a human form, but as a servant, a slave. But that's not low enough either because the scriptures continue on and say, you know what? And not only is he gonna become a slave, but I'm going to die for you. And then I love this. He says, that's not low enough. And Jesus is going to die, not just any death, but death on a cross, which in Jewish mindset was a curse. To die suspended between heaven and earth was a cursed death. So Jesus says, not only will I die for you, but I will die a cursed, ugly death. And the author of this book says, whenever you have the opportunity, go lower. 
That's the Jesus way. And the enemy's trying to come and say, don't do it that way, do it my way. Just worship me and I'll give it to you. Listen, the blessings are not always an indication of God's way in your life. Just because you're getting a promotion doesn't necessarily mean that it's a part of God's way for you. This is where discernment and relationship with God is so essential. We must hear God's voice. We must see. And that's the way of Jesus. The Father doesn't do, the Son doesn't do anything unless he sees the Father doing it. That's the way. And I think the temptation, and here's, and, and I'm bringing this, this to a close. I think the temptation for us today is the same as it was for Jesus. To take God's truth, take his promises and even to take the desire for a God life and do it our way. Just a few closing thoughts. We are called to live not only the Jesus truth and experience the Jesus life, but to live in the Jesus way. In fact, the Jesus way is absolutely essential to experiencing Jesus's truth and life. We must We must, as God's people, take responsibility for the way we live and work in our homes and neighborhoods, workplaces, and public squares. Not everybody everybody might do it this way, but we of this family, we do it this way. That pastor might have hurt me so many years ago, and maybe he didn't do it the Jesus way. But you know what? It doesn't matter because I am living the Jesus way. And what is the Jesus way? The Jesus way is love. The Jesus way is reconciliation. The Jesus way is forgiveness, uh, familial. the, the, The Jesus way is familial in nature. It's about family, not avoiding that person you don't get along with. The Jesus way is inclusive. Your neighbors should know who you are because that's the nature of the Jesus way, because it's inclusive. I believe that this is the crux of faithful presence to live as Jesus in the different facets of our lives, thereby incarnating Jesus, even as Jesus incarnated the father. And that's what Jesus did. He came into the earth, incarnating God's word and God himself. He, the word became flesh. And I believe we're called to do the same thing. And we do it in the way we live our lives, not just in the way we proclaim the truth. This morning, we are going to take communion. And I love the discipline of the Lord's table because it is a discipline instituted by Jesus himself. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you get together, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat and drink, do this in remembrance of me. And and this is what I believe, that the disciplines provide an opportunity for us to practice the Jesus way and experience the Jesus truth and life. See, it would be easy to just chalk it up to, oh, this is just religious or, you know, it's just what we do. But this morning, as we prepare our hearts for the table, I want to invite you that when you come, we are eating the flesh of Jesus. We're drinking the blood of Jesus. 
the very things that purchased healing and purchased our redemption and our justification, that provided a way to, for us to experience sanctification. We are, we are putting that in our bodies saying, God, we are one with you. Your body is my body and your flesh is my flesh and your blood is my blood. And so this is what I want you to do as we take communion together. You'll exit out the outside of your row and you'll come forward and these guys are gonna say, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. And you're gonna go back to your seat and this is what I want you to do. I want you to hold off on taking it so that we can take it together as the body. But what we're saying when we receive the elements is this, Heavenly Father, I'm coming to your table. You've invited me to your table and I'm coming to your table. I need your spirit. If there's any way in me that's not your way, I lay it down and I receive your way. We're receiving his way. Jesus' body was broken and we're receiving the way of brokenness. We're receiving his redemption through the, through the, through the blood. you to receive the elements this morning. Heavenly Father, Jesus, we just come to your table humbly. We come to the table casting down our crowns, casting down our way and asking you, dear Jesus, to change our way so that it is congruent, so that it is the same as your way. God, if we've taken your promises and used them in our way, forgive us. We want to ask in your name. If we've treated people according to our way and not your way, dear Jesus, we plead your forgiveness and ask for the work of your cross to flourish within us. As we receive your body and your blood, Lord, today we say that we embrace your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the elements. Heavenly Father, we declare again that we respond to your loving invitation to your table this morning. We take this this morning in our hands and we just declare that Father we choose your way we choose your way this morning and may we choose your way as we leave and go about our days our weeks as we go about our way at work and at home it would be your way
we ask for forgiveness. Even in Isaiah, where where it says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've missed the way, Lord. We plead your forgiveness. We receive your forgiveness and we declare with the power of your spirit and your grace, we will walk in your way. In Jesus' name, let's take you, Jesus. Antioch Church, thank you for being here this morning, for worshiping the Lord together as one body, one mind. I bless you to walk this next week with great identity and direction as to the way we are to live our lives. Amen. You are dismissed. We'll see you next week.